Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how's it going? What are you what have you been up to this week? It's going great. It's going great. I watched so Good. many things this weekend. I oh. feel like I caught up on a bunch of stuff. Well, that is really good because I feel like I didn't watch anything this week. So take it away. Let everyone know uh, what you were getting into. I watched uh, season three of The Sinner, which was fantastic. I got Mm -hmm. into the latest HBO show called The Nevers, which is really interesting. It's got... Mm -hmm. um, no one's super famous is in it, um, so no names that I recognize, but it's a really interesting take on uh, kind of if you have psychosomatic or superhero kind of skills and it's mm-hmm. taken in kind of London and um, the time of Jack the Ripper and kind of this Victorian timeline and it's, mm-hmm. it's really neat. It's also kind of hot, um, which is fun. So that's good. Um, I watched the new Pink documentary that came out. Oh, okay. Um, which I'm not a huge pink fan. I like her a lot. So I, but I was interested because I heard that it was amazing and it really was a cool take on kind of a, a, a working mom, right? She's oh, okay. famous and mm-hmm. but she takes, she has two children and her husband and she takes them with her on tour the entire time, which is oh, okay. neat to see. So it was kind of neat, neat to see how you balance it all and still are this kind of icon for all the things that I love, which is like being who you are and self-acceptance and self-love and um, not being, you know, afraid of, of, of your body and what it can do and things. So I thought that was really good. Let's see, I saw a couple of other things um yeah well what did you see while you're trying to remember all of the things that uh you saw um i didn't see anything my in-laws are in town they got here kind of late last week so i really just been kind of you know hanging out with them doing some uh projects around the house spending some time you know outside just kind of hanging out so didn't really get to watch too much you know watched a, a little bit of uh the hockey and some uh, soccer over the weekend, but uh, that was about it for me. Didn't really get into much in the way of movies or TV shows this week myself. So, oh well, family time is always great, right? I mean, I will say, I there's there were a couple things that I definitely had to wait until Steven Michael was uh, my son was asleep, so mm-hmm. that I could actually enjoy it. Um, get on up. That was what I saw. That was, and that was amazing. So if you have not seen, that's a Chadwick Boseman film and it is about the life of James Brown. It is fantastic. Um, I think I had actually watched it when it first came out and I thought he was going to be nominated as an Oscar and he wasn't. And uh, I, so I watched it thinking that I hadn't seen it and I think I had, but it was amazing. Um, I totally recommend anybody that was interested in learning more about that, the, the, the singer, James Brown, anybody that wanted to really get into some Chadwick Boseman's earlier work, totally worth your time. Uh, please go see it. It's, and mm-hmm. it's on Netflix. Yeah, that one's really good. So definitely, yeah, make sure to carve out some time and watch that. If you have a Netflix uh, account, you want to watch a movie that's definitely a good one to watch but yeah so what else did I do oh um I was taking a trip down memory lane and the year was 1955 November 5th 
And I was trying to hang up a clock, I think, in my bathroom. Strange place for a clock. But I was stand on this toilet and mm-hmm. I fell. I hit my head. I'm pretty sure it helped me invent time travel. That, that is a very weird place to hang up a clock. I agree. And I don't know if it helped you invent time travel, but it might have helped you mix up this week's drink. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about this week's cocktail, the Flux yeah. Capacitor. This week's cocktail is the Flux Capacitor. Uh, Now, when we were looking for movies to do for Blockbuster Month and we were looking for drinks to do uh, alongside of them, uh, we found this drink uh, online and it comes from a bar in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is called The Chemist. And we'll put a link to, uh, I think we saw it, it as like a news segment or something we saw online where they were mixing it up. Um, So we'll put a link to that video on our website and in the show notes so you can uh, check out them making it. Uh, But yeah, we thought this would be a really good one to do. I was so excited because it's in Myrtle Beach. So I am definitely going to plan a trip around this bar just for this drink. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's as tasty as we made it because this was one of my favorites, I think, of the month for sure. It was it was a good one for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's basically kind of a jazzed up vodka lemonade but it Mm -hmm. gets pushed to 88 miles an hour with some amazing fruit syrup that um brian made himself and it was awesome and then we added um a beaker and a light up coaster just to give it this extra kind of retro 80s sciencey feel to it um and it made Mm -hmm. it really special yeah and we'll put uh same as always we'll put our pictures of the cocktails up on the website and on instagram so you'll be able to see the little beakers that we used uh, they used something similar in the video that we saw i don't remember if theirs lit up or not but uh ours did and it was awesome so definitely get some of those if you're going to be having a back to the future party absolutely so the recipe is actually pretty easy it's an ounce and a half of vodka we used we used snow queen vodka and it was uh which is my husband's favorite um we did one ounce of saint germain because that's always awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm, You take a couple of sprigs of mint, you slap them real hard in your hand to open up the capillaries of the mint, and then you're going to muddle that in a glass. Um, Then you'll add the vodka in St. Germain. Then you add one and a half ounces of a raspberry blackberry syrup. Now you Mm -hmm. can buy, you can find at any sort of grocery store, a raspberry syrup or blackberry syrup. You would find those in the same places you would find like pancake mix and pancake syrups they have stuff there mm-hmm. um but brian you actually took the time to make our our own and i think that's really where it's at so if you have a little bit of time go ahead and do that because uh, mm-hmm. it was amazing yeah thank you and it's it was really simple to do so basically i just took uh just your regular simple syrup recipe so i think for ours i did like a cup of water and a cup of sugar and then i also added a half a cup of frozen raspberries and a half a cup of frozen blackberries to it and just let that kind of steep in there. So I brought it up to a boil, threw the berries in and just let it sit for like an hour while the syrup kind of cooled down and then just strained it into a jar and kept it in the fridge just like you would your regular simple syrup. It just, you know, is red and delicious because it tastes like raspberries and blackberries. Yes. Oh, so good. And it keeps well, so you can make this over and over again, which is may or may not have been what I did all this week. So uh, yeah. you can add at the end of that, you add one ounce of lemon juice and uh, shake that sucker up, put it in your beaker. We got these really cool, like 500 milliliter beakers um, that make it look really sciencey. And then we added it to these coasters that light up. 
all of the things that we found are available on Amazon. So if you're going to have this, uh, have a party, you can get a group of 12 of the beakers and it's and a group of 12 of the little coasters. They're fun, like knickknacks for like parties and stuff too, mm-hmm. for like giveaways. Um, everybody can get a beaker and you can write on them and say, you know, it, it, it could be really fun. So totally recommend it. Um, how did you like the drink? Uh, so the drink is amazing. It's, it's really good. Um, it, I, I think it's kind of taken over the top, the St. Germain. If you add a little bit of St. Germain to pretty much any cocktail, it's going to taste better. Um, it's, it's just a good rule of thumb. So uh, that and then just the raspberry and blackberry syrup, it gave it kind of this sweetness, but it wasn't like overly sweet. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just really good. It was really well balanced. Um, you know, throw a couple blackberries into your beaker there at the end for a, for a little garnish. So, you know, it looks a little fancy, but yeah, this, this one was excellent. Probably any time of year, it's probably a little better as the, uh, sun's coming up and burning a little brighter these days. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I agree. This was an amazing drink. Uh, it was fun to make. It really wasn't that difficult. Um, the mint part was kind of weird to me because I, I never, uh, really slapped mint before. So that was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I think this is something that I'm adding to my, uh, repertoire for the summer for sure. Um, if you don't want it to be super sweet, you can go less on the raspberry blackberry syrup and more on the vodka. You could always play with the amount of St. Germain you put into it. But this recipe I thought was stood up really well on its own. It didn't need a lot of um, fixing or tweaking in order to get pretty much everybody we gave it to, to like it. So mm-hmm. this is a big hit. I totally recommend it. Um, and now it's made. Now I'm ready to talk about our movie. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So let's take our flux capacitors. We'll go throw them in the DeLorean. And when we're doing that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about this week's movie, Back to the Future. Spoiler warning for Back to the Future. If you've not seen Back to the Future, I'm really sorry. But press pause, go back in time, watch it, come back, and we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And make sure you bring a flux capacitor with you so you can uh, get back to present day. But you should have been able to watch it if you felt so inclined, because this came out on July the 3rd, 1985. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis, and it stars Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. I think it was also produced by Steven Spielberg. He, yeah, he's, yeah, credited. I think his is like the first name that that comes up as being a producer on it, so. yeah. Yeah. And I, I, so it's, it's interesting because again, we're doing blockbusters for the summer, right. And pretty much everything that Steven Spielberg touched in the eighties and nineties made a, a huge impact on the box office. So uh, it's, there's, there's a couple of other actors though, that um, kind of made their way and, and got their mm-hmm. start with this film. And we'll talk about them as, as time goes on, but this film did pretty well. Uh, it was nominated for a lot of Oscars too. Yeah, so this so Back to the Future won one Oscar for Best Sound Effect Editing, um, and it was nominated for three others. It didn't win, but it was nominated for Original Screenplay, Sound, and Best Original Song for The Power of Love. And yeah, it makes sense as to why, because The Power of Love plays a bunch of times through the film, Huey Lewis in the News, and it's an amazing song, and it should have won, and... Uh, yeah, it's it stood the test of time. It didn't need to win the Academy Award to remain in our hearts. 
It didn't. I mean, I remember looking this up and thinking, well, why the heck did it not win? Um, who won instead? And I guess it was Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You from Lady in Red, which mm. good song, not good song. the same. Because we still hear Power of Love and everybody thinks about this film. So I think mm. the Oscars kind of got it wrong. For everything else, Armadeus won and Armadeus kind of cleaned up. It was the English patient of that year where it mm. had only been out for like three weeks or something. And right everybody and their mother voted for it because it was so good so uh i i kind of get some of the other stuff but it should have won best original song for sure um and that's how the movie really starts right yeah so yeah it starts well pretty much you get a you get lots of uh, clocks going on it's just panning around this room there's like ten thousand clocks um you get a little bit of a foreshadowing here one of the clocks is the clock tower you see a little person hanging off of the uh, side of it there. Um, and as it's panning around the room, you know, all these clocks are working and they turn into like a Rube Goldberg machine basically and start like making coffee and feeding the dog and it turns on the TV um, and the news is on the TV and there's been a plutonium theft, which sounds really bad. Yeah, that does not sound good. And I guess uh, terrorists are claiming the victory of this plutonium theft but then the company is saying that there hasn't been a theft so it sounds real shady and um in the meantime uh, michael j fox enters and he's actually plays 17 year old marty mcfly um he's got a skateboard and he's at looking around no one seems to be there and he hooks up his guitar uh, to this amazingly huge guitar amp. This was back in the day when bigger was better. There was mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of big things, like especially with sound equipment. Yeah, right? everything got huge. Boom boxes were like the size of a small car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's turning all of like these knobs and switches, and you think he's like starting up some like science experiment or something. But now he's just getting the amp ready to go for his guitar, and you know, hits one note on it, it blows him back across the room. You know, the amp is completely destroyed. And uh, about that time, he gets a phone call, and the phone call is from Doc. You know, that's who he was supposed to be there meeting, but Doc's nowhere to be found. Uh, Doc calls him on the phone. You know, he's sounding a little bit panicky. He says to meet him at 1.15 a.m. at the Twin Pines Mall. He also tells him, you know, the amp's not working right. Don't use the amp. So, Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, so he, he calls Marty, you know, asks him to meet him at 1.15 a.m. You know, and Marty kind of looks at the time now and realizes he's late for school. So that's when Power of Love kicks in, you know, and full blast. And you see Marty skateboarding out of there. He is on his yeah. way to school. Uh, very dangerous. Don't try this at home if you're skateboarding around town, kids. Right. So he, so Doc, um, he is a scientist and he lives um, in part of this pan where we're looking, it's panning around the room and we see all these clocks. We also see a couple of newspapers that show that he had a mansion and the mansion has been kind of uh, condemned. The mansion has been condemned. And so he's mm -hmm. in this old um, garage that is behind a old, like now a new Burger King, right? And so he just grabs, Marty McFly is like using his skateboard and he just goes and kind of hangs on behind this blue pickup truck as it pulls out of the drive-through. Um, and that's how he gets to school. Like he just ends up 
kind of hitching a ride on the back of this car. And then he moves Mm -hmm. car to car as, you know, he gets closer and closer to school and the power of love is playing. He passes like an old Toys R Us. He passes this uh, gym where a bunch of girls who are like totally decked out in pink and purple, like eighties wear are Mm -hmm. doing jazzercise or something. It's, it's really fun. It's a great beginning. You feel good about it. And, um, but it's very dangerous kids. Don't ever do that because you can die. It's, it's, (laughs) it's not good. It's not safe. It's kind of funny as he's going through town, because it's almost like if we were making a movie right now that we wanted to like hammer home, that it was set in the eighties, it would look very much like this. Right. But this was just how things looked in 1985, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Very iconic because there's kids on their bikes that he's driving by. It's Mm -hmm. very, there's this, you know, it's kind of town square that he goes through. There's like a Toyota shop um, that's got, you know, like a gas station. It's really kind of neat. And you get a feel for the town, which is really important because um, if you don't know, Back to the Future is a trilogy and it all takes place in this town that is a mythical place called Hill Valley. So Yep. It's it's kind of neat, but he shows up, uh, he's climbing up the stairs of this iconic looking high school. It looks like the high school from Greece. It looks like the high school that my father went to in 1955, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, it is this really beautiful kind of brick uh, stone facade in the front and he's climbing up the stairs and his girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, is running out of the school telling him he can't come this way because the principal, Mr. Strickland, is going to be looking for him to give him a tardy slip since he is late and it'll be four tardies in a row. And I guess that's really bad. (laughs) Yeah, she kind of intercepts him at the door, right? And she's like, no, we got to sneak in around around the back. So she's kind of, you know, looking around the corner and says, come this way. But uh, she's apparently terrible at lookouts because as soon as Marty steps out into the hallway, the principal's there and he says, oh, tardy, four tardies in a row. That's bad. He gets, I don't know, double tardies or something, I guess. Uh, but the principal says, you know, you wouldn't be late if you weren't hanging out with, you know, Doc Brown. You shouldn't be hanging around that guy or, you know, you're just going to end up being a loser like your dad, uh, which, which isn't a very nice thing to say, but uh, I I guess it kind this of was the eighties, you know, teachers it, and, yeah, and principals, say, they could say anything back then. Just say whatever. But I guess, I guess it kind of sets up, right? So, you know, maybe Marty's dad, a uh, bit of a square setting that up for us, I guess. I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't know for sure. So. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Cause he says, you know, no man, no McFly has ever made uh, a name for himself in Hill Valley. You're all going to be losers. And Marty doesn't really, he doesn't take much of his crap, right? He doesn't take it. He's like, whatever, can I leave? Like, history's going to change. But mm-hmm. you you still feel that he's starting, you know, he kind of doubts himself. And that scene is really, that that's really prevalent in the next scene where he's got this battle of the bands going on. So he's got this band, his girlfriend is there and she's like cheering him on and he's playing um, kind of the riff, right? From Power of Love. And mm-hmm. it sounds really pretty good for a high school band. I'd never heard a high school band sound that good, but apparently the, uh, the judges of the battle of the band concert contest are all real real square they look like you know it when john hughes was making fun of teachers in the breakfast club okay mm-hmm. it's, it's exactly how they look they have these like super high necklines super long sleeves they're you know they got the bow ties for women it's real weird and they're like we're sorry you're just too loud i'm sorry and yeah poor marty is just devastated 
Well, in one of the squares uh, doing the judging for this Battle of the Bands is none other than Huey Lewis. So. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, so so he doesn't get elected to go to the Battle of the Bands, you know, playing too loud. So you'll see Jennifer and Marty, they're walking back through kind of this town square. We saw him skateboarding through. Uh, you'll see some cars going by. It says reelect uh, Mayor Goldie uh, Progress, I think. Goldie Progress Wilson. Um, you know, that's going on. They're doing like a fundraiser to get the clock tower fixed because the clock tower got struck by lightning like 30 years ago, never got fixed. So kind of kind of setting up, you know, what's going on in this town with the story. Uh, but they're getting getting a little bit of time together, Marty and Jennifer. Yeah. And Marty's really down about the whole thing. And Jennifer is trying to cheer him up and say, you know, hey, you know, you should you your sound is great. You should send this you know, tape that you've made to the record company, you got to do it. And Marty's like, man, I, I don't think I could take that kind of rejection. What if they say that I, I'm horrible? What if they say I have no future? It's one thing if Mr. Strickland says it, but if somebody who really knows this business says that, I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection. And, uh, and you know, they kind of quote Doc Brown and says that, you know, if you, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And mm. so, you know, it's about that time they're, they're, they're trying to have a, a, a little kiss and Jennifer's dad rolls up in his oh so awesome uh, wagon. Remember those, the station yeah. wagon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she gives him her phone number because she's going to be at her grandma's that night. And so they're not going to be able to talk on the phone regularly. But she sends, she writes on this little flyer that they've gotten about the clock tower that she loves him and gives him her phone number. And and again, Hue- Huey Lewis comes in with, that's the power of love. Yep. And it's it's a fun scene. Yeah, that's right. So they're having to go their separate ways. She's headed off with her dad. So Marty is on his way home. So uh, you'll see him. He's uh, walking into his neighborhood, uh, which is the uh, Lion Estates, uh, is where his uh, family's house is. So he's kind of walking through these gates and then, you know, down the road to his house. And when he gets to his house, there's a tow truck there. It's dropping off the car. Uh, Marty is looking pretty bummed because he was planning to take the car out the next night uh, with Jennifer out on some hot date. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's a little upset. He goes inside, but he's not as upset as Biff is, uh, who apparently was the one that caused the accident, but Biff doesn't take responsibility for anything. So he's just in there, uh, yelling at Marty's dad and Marty's dad's just rolling over and taking it. Yeah. It's, it's tough because like you said, Marty's had this plan. They were going to, he and Jennifer were going to go camping, um, so they were going to have an overnight trip together. It was kind of a big deal. Um, Marty had not told his family that he was going with her because he didn't want to get any flack from his mom. But, you know, now that's ruined. And you can tell he's he's walked in and this character, Biff, who is apparently Marty's dad, Marty's dad's name is George. George's supervisor, Biff, is yelling at George because he's like, why didn't you tell me that your car had a blind spot? And who's going to pay for my cleaning bill? Because I spilled beer all over my suit when I was driving and this car hit me. Like, it's totally his fault. He was obviously drinking and driving. It is, uh, you know, thankfully nobody was hurt, but George is like, um, I guess, will your insurance pay for it? I don't know. Uh, and he's just really kind of this wuss, um, you know, he's just taken Mm -hmm. it and it's, it's, it's painful to watch because Marty is like, dad, this is the, you know, I'm, this meant so much to me and you have no idea. And why do you, let Biff just walk all over you like that. I mean, even at the end when Biff is about to leave, he's asking 
uh, George if he's gonna give him the reports that he's gonna retype to make it make them sound like they come from him I mean this mm-hmm. guy is like just an awful person and he even calls Marty a butthead as he's leaving because Marty is looking at him incredulously as you would when someone comes in and spouts this kind of crap so it was it was really tough it's a really tough scene yeah it's not a not a good start for the uh family uh time here this night you know with uh biff yelling at marty's dad and you know he's upset about the about the car but i guess they're going to sit down for dinner and this family dinner uh really weird so they've got the uh jackie gleason show on so uh marty's brother and dad are kind of like turned watching it his dad's laughing like super awkwardly and obnoxiously <laughs> about <laughs> a, a, about all, of these, <laughs> about all of these jokes. Uh, they have a cake because they think that their uh, Uncle Joey is going to get out of jail that day, but he doesn't end up getting out of jail. Uh, his mom's yelling at his sister about how she can't go on dates or she can't ask boys out on dates because that's wrong. And then mom gets up and she goes and uh, pours herself a giant glass of Popov vodka, uh, which is the vodka of choice for people that drink lots of vodka. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's really it's really the right choice, because not only is it cheap, Brian, but it comes in plastic so you can take it with you to the beach or the pool or yeah. slip it into your bag going to work or, you know, <laughs> any of those choices, which may not be great choices. I didn't realize that Papa Vodka was a really um, not uh, great um, brand that it was a real mm. cheap brand. Um, mm-hmm. So when I got the opportunity to get it when I was 21, I definitely purchased a bottle of it. It was right at the bottom bottom shelf. It was next to the Skoll vodka, which might be mm-hmm. the same uh, vodka, but but that's what I remember is that I remember seeing this from Back to the Future. So I was like, this can't be bad, right? And um, it's not great. It's certainly not Snow Queen. So, um, yeah. but yeah, this this dinner is real interesting. They're eating like candied, um, like peanut brittle. Yeah, and- his dad's his dad just pours like a giant bowl of peanut brittle. Um, yeah, and everyone's eating their own things. Like I said, there's a, a weird cake there, and it's just it's just a whole weird thing. But and I, I, his, it doesn't his, seem like like the family is like not unhappy. Like like they're not really like dysfunctional, but they're just they're just kind of living yeah. within themselves being dysfunctional, right? I don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, he the father George, he's like laughing at the TV and trying his best to ignore Lorraine, his wife, Lorraine is goes on and on about this story where you know where she actually met George his her father apparently hit him with the car years and years ago and that's how she met him she did not you know park with boys or call a boy or date boys like she wasn't that kind of girl and as she's drinking this entire thing of vodka the older brother he's like a pizza hut uh, delivery guy and so he has to leave to go to work the daughter is like got curlers in her hair and she's you know sad because she's like how am I ever supposed to meet anybody and then they're all supposed to write their (laughs) uncle bird uncle jailbird joey in prison because he didn't make parole i mean it's just it they they weren't like like a trashy family they're just kind of middle class doing the best that they can they seem happy enough but Mm. it's just a little it's very odd and you know marty really listens to the retelling of the story of her and lorraine of lorraine and george meeting and falling in love at this enchantment under the sea dance and 
you know, then it kind of pans out to this is their life now. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of strange. But the big takeaway from this dinner is that, you know, we need to find out how Lorraine and uh, George got together in the first place. Because uh, right. this is going to be, this is going to be very important to Marty as, as he uh, goes back to the future. And right. that's, that's about what's going to happen. So uh, after dinner, you know, Marty's laying in bed. Uh, it's about 1230 uh, in the morning. And the phone starts ringing. He has uh, one of those really cool uh, 1980s uh, cordless phones, right? Has the big antenna sticking on it. And uh, who's calling? It's uh, Doc. Doc Brown's calling him to say, hey, Marty, I hope you're not asleep because you're supposed to be meeting me at the mall at 115. And Marty says, oh, yeah, of course. So, you know, that's that's where he goes. He goes out to the Twin Pines Mall. Uh, you just see like this big kind of uh, like uh, work truck, you know, like a cargo truck kind of thing. It says, you know, Doc Brown's science experiments, et cetera, or something along the lines of that. Right, right. Um, Einstein, the little dog, he's just sitting there all by himself in the in the middle of this, you know, mall parking lot. And so what happens? So the doors kind of open to this big white truck and a bunch of smoke comes out and you see these headlights or these taillights. And I'm not a car enthusiast by any means, but I do remember the first time I saw this scene. I was like five years old and I remember being like, whoa, this is a cool car. And it kind of, you know, backs down the ramp into the parking lot. And uh, Marty has been asked to bring his video equipment. So this is back in the day when you had these giant VHS tapes and they had these, um, you know, the video mm-hmm. recorder kind of sat yeah. on your shoulder and it was kind of big. big and yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's, videotaping doc and it's the first time you meet doc brown face to face he's played by christopher lloyd he's got this crazy wild like einsteinish kind of hair white hair um kind of a really plasticky kind of face lots of big features and mm-hmm. he says you know i've got i've done this experiment and that we're, we're we're gonna do it here and um my name is doc brown and he's having marty videotape it and um, it's a really cool thing because it's a DeLorean car, which is kind of a big deal. Um, they don't make them anymore. And so it's this kind of silvery car and he's rigged it up to be like a remote control vehicle, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and then it, he's got it rigged so it can go backwards and forwards. And so he backs it up in this big empty parking lot and he says we're gonna hit 88 miles per hour and you're gonna see some serious stuff like this is gonna be amazing and marty's really kind of confused he doesn't really understand what's going on so he's videotaping it and uh sure enough you know he goes you know doc brown presses the button so it goes forward it goes 88 miles an hour and then it completely disappears and it leaves these fiery tracks that like would would, the car would have actually hit the two of them um Mm -hmm. if it hadn't disappeared but instead they're standing in these tracks of fire and marty kind of loses his mind because they put in they they put in that's not english michaela they had put einstein (laughs) (laughs) i got excited they had put einstein the dog in Mm -hmm. the the car and they had you know synchronized the watches and been like all right and marty's still really kind of confused he doesn't really know what's happening and so the car has disappeared marty freaks out he's like you've disintegrated einstein like you've killed the dog oh my gosh (laughs) and which was really sweet (laughs) 
that he was worried about the dog. Yeah, he's like, what? He's like, what are you doing? And then, uh, you know, he's drilling down onto a dock there. And about this time, the car just comes back and almost runs over them because they're just kind of still standing where they where they right. were. And the car comes back and you know, Doc gets excited. He goes over, he throws open the door of the DeLorean um, and the doors open. They're like wings, right? They just open right. like, straight up and down. And Einstein's sitting there and Doc pulls like his little pocket watch thing out and takes the one that's, you know, he has clipped around Einstein's collar. And Einstein's is one minute behind now. So they were synced up, but now he's one minute behind and uh yeah so the experiment worked so einstein the dog was the first time traveler in the world and in in the whole world and he tells him about how he you know kind of invented this he tells the story about how he was putting up a clock in the bathroom and was standing on the toilet and fell and hit his head uh and back in 19 november the 5th of 1955 and, you know, in his concussed state, he drew up this thing. It's like a little triangle looking thing uh, that he's calling the flux capacitor. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was, it's a great story because he says, you know what, I, I, you know, it runs on plutonium, which is, is important because it needs 1.21 gigawatts. Um, and once it hits 88 miles per hour, the plutonium and the flux capacitor work together to create the time shift millennium thing. It's very mm-hmm. scientific, but, and Doc Brown makes it sound really great. So, you know, Marty's been videotaping this whole thing and says, okay, so that's that. So you, you made a DeLorean that runs on plutonium and that is the time machine. And it's really kind of hits home. Marty is like, wow, this is, this is amazing. But as they're going to do it again. So Doc Brown has decided he's going to put himself in the time machine and mm-hmm. he gets in the car and then he, he's showing Marty how the time machine works. And that's when he says, I'll just put in November 5th, 1955, because that's when I came up with this idea. But he realizes that he forgot to put more plutonium in the car because it Mm -hmm. needs plutonium in order to work and at that point he looks off in the distance and he sees that the Libyans who uh, stole the plutonium in the first place are really mad that Doc stole it back and so they are there um, and they've got they're in this big like VW van and they've got rocket Mm -hmm. launchers and shotguns and um, it's uh, very it's very absurd, right? But they roll up. They they end up shooting Doc and you know trying to shoot at Marty. Uh, so he only has one path of escape. Now Einstein, I think, is back on board the uh, you know the white work truck. So so yeah. he's safe and sound in there, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, Marty's got a he's gonna have to get into the DeLorean and drive away if he wants to get away from these uh, guys. And yeah, they pull out like this crazy rocket launcher, but uh, Marty is not even, you know, really paying attention to what he's doing or thinking about what he's doing. He's just trying to not get killed, but he gets the uh, DeLorean going faster and faster and it hits 88 miles per hour. It sure does. And uh, the thing about this uh, time machine is it's not the TARDIS, right? It doesn't go to any time in any place. It just goes to any time. So mm-hmm. he gets taken back to 1955. Back in 1955, the Twin Pines Mall was a pine farm. And so he is in the middle of this pine farm. He's hitting a bunch of trees. He's very confused. He is in this protective uh, gear. It looks uh, very alien-esque. He's got this kind of yellow, because he's working with plutonium. So he's got this yellow suit on and he ends up flying into the back of this weird farm uh, Mm -hmm. that I guess the, the twin pines farmer guy he you know wakes up the whole household they wake up 
yeah, he like crashes into his barn. And so the whole family like goes out to see what's going on in the, in the farm. And the, I think the dad's like, was, is that an airplane? And his son has this comic book and he's like, no dad, it's this. And he points us and it kind of looks kind of like the spaceship. And then he's like, and look at this. And they like turn the page and it's, you know, this uh, alien uh, visitor, right. But he's in this big yellow suit and things. And then about this time, Marty steps out and he's in, you know, like his uh, hazmat, suit because they were dealing with the plutonium so it looks like this alien guy and the the tales from space comic so the family runs back into the house and comes back you know shotguns blasting so marty's got to get out of there so you know he he climbs back into the uh, DeLorean and hightails it back out of these people's barn but the DeLorean's not long for this world right it runs out of you know runs out of juice so he's going to get stranded on the side of the road and ends up pushing it and he sees a big billboard that he's going to hide it behind and the billboard is advertising this new housing development called lion estates that we've seen uh, earlier because that's where marty lives in 1985 so right but you as the watcher and the the viewer of this you kind of are putting the dots together because you know what's going on but I don't think at this point Marty is still in, I think he's a little bit in denial as to what's happening. So he ends up walking, uh, you know, there's a sign that says Hill Valley is, you know, two miles east. And so Mm -hmm. he just kind of walks up there. He's in, you know, the clothes that he wore, um, you know, other than the plutonium suit, he has managed to be, he took that off smart, uh, smart move there but now he's in jeans he's in like suspenders he's in a uh life jacket which was like super cool back in the 80s i don't know why i still don't understand that fashion choice but he's going uh to the same place that he was you know the day before um only now it's the 1955 version so there is a gas station they're playing you know mr sandman on the radio Mm -hmm. um it's there's a diner there now. Yeah, um, there's a there's a movie theater. It's showing a Ronald Reagan uh, movie at the time. But yeah, Marty has, you know, what's he going to do? He's got to go find a doc. He knows that, you know, if he really is in 1955, this is when Doc invented this uh, time machine or kind of the, you know, inner workings of this time machine. So he's got to find Doc. So yeah, he goes into this diner and asked to use the phone. So he's looking it up in the phone book, finds Doc. He tries to call, uh, no answers. So he goes out and the guy that owns the diner is like, are you going to buy something? Stop asking me questions <laughs> unless you're going to buy something. So he says, fine, give me something. He, he tries to order like a tab and like a like a, like a a Pepsi free, right? So like these drinks from 1980, it's, it's still not quite setting in on Marty that uh, he's in the past. So uh, he tells him, you know, just something sugar free. So the diner guy gives him a cup of coffee and, and then you kind of hear behind him, you hear this familiar voice coming in saying pretty similar things to what he was saying in Marty's living room uh, to his dad because Biff just came into the diner and he right. is confronting uh, his dad, George, who just happens to be sitting next to him. Right. And it's a, it's a good moment uh, because Biff is, you know, very much what you would consider like the hunky bully uh, of 1955 right he's tall he's got this buzz cut he's got this deep voice and he's like McFly I thought I told you to never come in here and what are you doing in here and George McFly is like trying to eat his cornflakes in peace and 
Biff has given him shtick because he's like, look, you, you know, you didn't do my homework for me. I need to rewrite, you know, the homework that you've done. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you don't want me to get flunked out of school. You don't want me to get, get in trouble. And George yeah. is still just taking it. So, you know, that this is, man, this has been going on for 30 years. And meanwhile, Marty yeah. is just shocked, right. Looking at George McFly. Um, Cause George looks young. Mm-hmm. And the confrontation from Biff, it's it's pretty much verbatim to what he'd said in the house, except it's about school stuff as opposed to work stuff, right? So he's like, you don't want me to drop out, of, or you don't want me to flunk out of school, do you? And earlier at the house, he's like, you don't want me to get fired from my job, do you? And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And then, you know, Biff ends, you know, looking at Marty, and he's like, what are you looking at, butthead? And, uh, so it's, you know, so it's pretty much, like I said, it's, it's verbatim. It just is happening 30 years in the past. Yeah. And George McFly you know, he's like, what, what do you, you know, when Marty is continuing to stare at him and he says, you're George McFly. Oh my gosh. And um, yeah. And so he, he just gets up and he leaves, but he's like, I got to follow him. So <laughs> in the meantime, there's a, a sign that's going around. Um, that's again, very reminiscent of what was happening in 1985, where there was, uh, there had been Mayor Goldie Wilson. Uh, mm-hmm. in progress was his middle name. Well, now there's Mayor Red Thomas, whose middle name is also Progress. So it's amazing how that changes or doesn't change over the course of yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But um, Goldie Wilson is actually a worker in the diner he's sweeping floors and he you know they're making fun of him kind of the the guy who works behind the counter is making fun of goldie and he's like what are you gonna do and he says oh i'm gonna clean up this town i'm, I'm gonna make something of myself um and marty mcfly is like yeah he's gonna be mayor oh my gosh he's gonna be mayor and that's when he plants the idea that he will actually be mayor which i mm-hmm. thought was really cool um you know Goldie Wilson is a person of color. And I think that that was pretty neat um, given the time that this was made, that mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, you're going to be, you know, and he's, and he gets that thought implanted that, Hey, you know, I, I can be mayor. I can go be mayor. And you realize that that's something that happened and it, it's kind of a cool thing, but anyway, back to, uh, back to the Marty and George McFly scenario. So yeah. Marty decides to follow George. Yeah. George kind of left. Right. So while he's having this uh, when he's talking to, you know, the future mayor there, uh, he loses track of George. So George is left. So he's out. He sees George is, you know, taking off on his bicycle. So he's going to do his best to follow him. And uh, he's kind of walking down the street and he sees the bicycle that George was on leaning up against this tree. And you look up in the tree and there's George with a pair of binoculars looking into a window of a young lady. And <laughs> Marty, it's it's maybe my favorite delivery in, in the whole show, Marty. And, you know, Michael J. Fox, Marty is just like, he's a peeping Tom. Like, like you thought your dad was like this, like lovable kind of wuss who wouldn't stand up for himself. But, and now it's like, he's all of those things. And he occasionally like, is this like kind of, Ugh, yeah. gross also, guy who, <laughs> he's not watching birds okay <laughs> also also it's important to know that it's like the middle of the afternoon so this is not even a very opportune time to be able right to stop. right what is he doing yeah so what ends up happening is uh george mcfly falls out of the tree mm-hmm. and marty sees that he's about to be hit by a car and he doesn't think and so he pushes 
George out of the way and Marty McFly is actually hit. Luckily, the car was going real slow and slamming to a halt. And so Marty only is thrown, you know, a couple of feet down onto Mm -hmm. the ground and then he hits the back of his head. The guy comes out of the car. George McFly runs away because he um, just runs away. And um, so the man calls for his wife and his daughter to come and help him because one of the kids, he says, one of these kids jumped in front of my car again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a couple of hours pass and then Marty is in bed and he's talking to his mom. His mom's voice is kind of over, uh, he overhears his mom and he's still coming out of consciousness and saying, I just had the weirdest dream and I, I went back in time and it was just awful. And, and then you hear uh, his mom say, well, you're safe and sound now back in 1955. Mm-hmm. And he's like, 1955? Yeah. So it's, it's important to realize that when we're hearing the story about how you know, Marty's parents met and fell in love, it started because his mom's you know, dad, Lorraine's dad, hit George with the car. And so Marty just changed that. So that never happened. So Right. And so, you know, now she seems very entranced with Marty, who is her son. And and who, for some reason, has his pants off. We don't know why his <laughs> pants are off, but his pants are off. <laughs> right. So he's in his underwear. He's in bed. So you don't see him like walking around in his underwear. But he kind of tries to get out of bed. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, Calvin and she keeps calling him Calvin and she's and he's like why and uh, he's she says oh it's all over your underwear it's Calvin Klein underwear and you get a we get a good laugh because Calvin Klein was really big in the 80s and today and so you know she's really just infatuated with him she's like oh it's I hope your head's okay and you could sleep in my room and and he's like totally uh, weirded out because it's his mom she looks very different than she did the 30 years of poplov vodka is uh mm-hmm. you know she, yeah she looks much different than she did and he's like i gotta get out of here she says we'll come and stay for dinner at least and so his uh her mom which is his grandmother actually asks him to stay so they you know he gets his pants on he comes downstairs and it's another awkward dinner <laughs> yeah it's kind of a more awkward dinner but this it kind of sets up, right? So Marty still is not really understanding that he actually went back into the past, into 1955. Uh, you do get you do get a little funny thing. Uh, Lorraine's kind of walking him downstairs, and there's a little ba- little baby Uncle Joey there in his crib, and you know they just leave him in there, and they're like, oh, it's it's like he's behind bars, and then you know jump forward to the past when he's you know jailbird Uncle Joey. But uh, so they're sitting there. They had, the family had just bought a TV, so they're putting on Jackie Gleason and. You know, um, Marty's, you know, is saying something to the effect of, oh, I love this episode. And he tells them what happens. And they're like, how do you know that? And he says something about reruns and they don't know what that is. Um, and then <laughs> and then they ask him if, you know, if he has TVs at his house. And he's like, yeah, we have two TVs. And, you know, the, the little boy is like, you have two TVs? And the dad's like, no, he's just pulling your leg because no one has two TVs because that's that's ridiculous. And that would be too much. Um, he's, you know, asking about Doc Brown and where he is. And they tell him, you know, he's out at the end of town past this one street. And Marty says, oh, you mean JFK Drive? And the dad's like, who's JFK, right? Because there hasn't <laughs> been a JFK 55. Yet. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's and then, you know, of course, the father gives Lorraine a bunch of heck because she's totally like just all over him. And he's like, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. Why? Why would you like that? If you ever had a kid that was <laughs> yeah. this stupid, I disown you. You know, and it's it's, right. uh, it's really interesting. So they, they ask if they can if they can keep an eye on him. And he says, no, no, I, I got to go, you know. And so he, he ends up making his way out. Uh, you know, I think actually Lorraine, his mom, like tries to feel him up under the table. And then yes. he's like, I'm out. I got to go. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Yeah, his his mom was wasting no time and making the moves on no time. Uh, young Marty here. So, yeah. And Lorraine kind of makes something it wonder. Yeah, she she did. And it's interesting how her version of events, like she was like, I never did anything with a boy. I never parked a car, called a boy or saw a boy. And now, like, apparently um, she had no problems doing any of that. So I think that's funny. Either way, he gets to Doc Brown's house. Yeah, that makes him run right out of there. So <laughs> on his on his way to Doc's, he needs to get uh, back back out of uh, 1955. So he gets to Doc's and knocks on the door and Doc's there and he starts to introduce himself and Doc just pulls him in. He's wearing this crazy contraption on his head and, you know, typical Doc Brown. He's just like, I'm going to read your mind. And he, and he starts saying all these things and Marty's like, no, that's not true. And that's not true. But uh, I am here from the future and a time machine that you built. <laughs> and uh, Doc just has this great delivery. And he's like, you know what that means? That this thing doesn't work. and I'm no good at anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> so takes him a couple of minutes. You know, it takes him some time to convince Doc Brown. You know, he asks some questions like, who's the president? And of course, he's like Ronald Reagan. And he's like, the actor. Great. Who's the vice president, Jerry Lewis? Um, mm-hmm. If he'd only known how bad it would go from there, uh, yeah. Doc Brown would be really sad to see. But um, he says, you know, I, 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 I can prove it to you. You've got this bandage on your head. I know how you got that. It happened this morning. You were hanging a clock and you fell and you had this vision of the flux capacitor, which is the thing that makes time travel possible. And mm-hmm. that's when Doc finally realizes this is not a joke. He made something that worked and now he has to really help Marty. And so Marty um, and him go back to the car. They go get it. Um, it ran out of gas, which is important in like the third film. Okay. Because this, mm-hmm. this thing still needs gas because it's a car. Okay. And cars need gas. So they put yeah. gas in it. They bring it back to the, to the garage that's on Doc's kind of mansion and they're going through the video and he can see that he needs plutonium and they don't have any plutonium. He did not remember to put any in the car as he was running from the Libyans. Mm-hmm. And so it, remember it's the plutonium that creates the 1.21 gigawatts that, you know, makes the time travel possible once you hit 88 miles per hour. So Doc is really incredulously sorry, but he's like, I, I cannot figure out how I'm going to be able to give this to you. We don't even have plutonium yet. There's no way we're going to be able to get that. You're stuck here. And Marty's like, no, 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 we've got to figure this out. What could we do? And so they're, they're brainstorming some ideas. And the only thing that Doc can think of that produces that kind of power is a bolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to predict when a bolt of lightning is going to hit um, and about that time, you know, Marty is showing him, you know, how important it is to get back because he's got this girl, Jennifer, there. She loves him. Look at this note that he wrote. Uh, but she wrote that note on the Save the Clock Tower uh, flyer, you know, which is convenient there to remind him that, you know, in about a week, uh, the clock tower is going to get hit by lightning at exactly, what is it? It's like 10.04 p.m. 
and you know that's going to produce enough power so yeah that's what we're going to have to do we're going to have to get this timed out just right if we can you know get the delorean and that lightning bolt to basically line up and hit each other right at that time we can get you get you back to the future which is what he says but uh you know you need to stay here stay at my house don't go don't talk to anyone uh but unfortunately uh marty has already uh kind of uh, spilled beans there on that and uh we get kind of the big plot point of this as marty pulls out this family photo and his brother's head is missing from the family photo now so right and he realizes he says doc says what have you done he says well i kind of ran out of my parents and he says oh no this is really bad um so he looks at it and he's like, you know, you've changed the course of history. So instead of your mom hitting your dad uh, or your dad getting hit by the car, it was you that got hit by the car. So she's not going to fall in love with George. Um, so this is really bad. That means you're going to cease to exist. Your sister's going to cease to exist. And that's why they're disappearing slowly from the photo. Right. So he doesn't have mm-hmm. a lot of time to fix this. And so. He's like, okay, I don't, I don't know how we're going to do that. I got to figure this out. So Marty, the next day he goes to George and he's trying to talk about what, what, what they like, what they, what they could possibly do. He's brainstorming with doc. Doc is there in the school and that's not weird to anybody that this 60 year old guy is, (laughs) you know, hanging out in a school. They watch George get picked on. He's got like a kick me sign on his back. Mr. Strickland is still the principal still Mm -hmm. calling George a slacker. He called Marty a slacker in 1985. He's like, you know, everybody is picking on George and he doesn't, he just takes it. He doesn't, you know, seem to care. Um, I mean, you know, he doesn't ever fight back and it's a real problem. And so they don't know what they're going to do. They get an idea uh, and they remember looking at a sign that there's this enchantment under the sea dance that Mm -hmm. happens in a week. And it happens the same night that that big storm occurs. So he's, you know, Marty and Doc decide, hey, if we can get them together at the dance, they can still kiss. That's where they first kiss. That's where they fall in love and everything will be mm-hmm. fine. But it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's not that easy. So, you know, he's trying to get trying to get George fired up for this. And George is like, why are you bothering me about this? Yeah, she's she's not that into me. She, it looks like she likes you. Maybe you should go to the dance with her. Um, but yeah, George is George is not uh, kind of into it. So uh, Marty's going to have miss- to. His mystery science theater. Yeah, that's movie. yeah. He's gonna he's gonna miss all this stuff. Um, but we do find out that George is an aspiring science fiction writer at this time. So you know he's got his head in the stars a little bit. So Marty comes up with a really good plan. What he's going to do? He's going to put on his uh, hazmat suit and uh, you know lean into that uh, Martian from uh, outer space kind of thing. He <laughs> he goes into George's house at night when he's sleeping. He puts on I think it's Van Halen on the tape deck and. <laughs> you know, puts that on, on his Walkman, on his, on his head. And, you know, he's, you know, wakes George up from a dead sleep and, you know, is telling him, you know, he's visitor from outer space and he needs to go out with Lorraine. That's kind of, kind of what he's been tasked with. So at this point now, George is, George's on board, right? If aliens are coming to tell him to do it, then it must, it must be legit. So George gets a little bit of, a little bit of confidence. They're kind of outside the diner. Um, and, you know, Marty's says, you know, George, she's right in there. Just go in and, you know, ask her out, you know, tell her, you know, that she's pretty, tell her, you know, these things that you like about her. And George's like, oh, I got to write that down. That's re- that's really good. And Marty's like, what are you doing? Stop writing this down. Just go in and say it. It's fine. So, you know, George is, you know, 
pulling up as much confidence as he can. He walks up to the bar and he's like, give me a milk chocolate. And they slide it down to him and he gets it pretty cool. Right. And drinks it. But then he goes over to Lorraine and starts to stumble a little bit. Right. He's trying to say something like, we should go to the dance because I'm your destiny, but he keeps saying density. So he's like, I'm your density. No, I mean, I'm your density. Uh, your density. He says that like four times. Um, and Lorraine's like, what are you talking about? Oh. Uh, it's, it's really great, but he never gets past it because Biff comes in. Oh, and Biff, you know, so Biff has had a couple of run-ins with Marty by this time in the lunch, um, in the lunchroom, in the cafeteria, he's like all over Lorraine. He's telling her that, you know, he knows that she wants him and she wants to go to the dance with him. And he's being totally gross and inappropriate. It is a classic, like what not to do. And again, I'm happy to say this, this would not fly in a school today. Um, But in 1955, I guess it was fine. So he's really inappropriate with her and she actually smacks him and she's like, uh, shut your mouth. I'm not that kind of girl. I'm not interested. And he's like, well, we'll see, you know, really threatening, just really yucky. Um, Mm -hmm. And Marty, you know, he's not afraid of Biff. He knows that Biff is a bully. And so he stands up to him, which just makes Lorraine like him more and not George, right? Because George isn't, isn't gonna get in the way of any of that. (laughs) So, um, you know, in this scene where, you know, George is trying to talk to Lorraine. Biff comes in and says, I thought I told you to never come in here. You know, you need to leave. Um, Now it's really going to cost you. And, you know, he starts to walk over and Marty actually trips him. So Mm -hmm. he falls to the ground and then he gets up and you realize that Marty is actually kind of short. And Biff is like, I don't know really tall he's like six five yeah. or something yeah. so either either michael j fox is like four feet tall or biff <laughs> is like nine feet tall right, right. One, or, one or the other <laughs> but it's definitely a david and goliath kind of moment and um but again marty he doesn't he doesn't care right he, he just he uh tricks him into looking the other way and punches him in the face and then runs out of the diner and of course biff is there with all his other bully friends and they're like Mm -hmm. let's go get him and so they get in the car and they're gonna drive around to try and find him and run him down there's a really cool chasing that ensues because it's 1955 so they don't really have skateboards but they do have these really cool little scooter things and so Mm. you know he goes to a couple of kids that are riding around the town center he takes off the top of the of the scooter and of course the kid's really sad he's like you broke it which makes me really sad every time I watch it but then (laughs) the bottom of it is a skateboard so he's driving around and he's doing what he always does which is grab the back of a car and use that to get away from this car full of bullies. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a really nice vehicle. You find out later in the separate movies, like where kind of what Biff's situation is. And so he really loves that car. Um, Mm -hmm. It's this beautiful convertible. It's like cream and white. It's beautiful. It's really, really pretty, but they're trying to hit him with the car. And so there's a scene where he actually, um, walks through them right yeah it's really cool so they they end up getting right behind marty and you know he kind of turns and he has his hands like on the on the front bumper of the car and he's he's skateboarding backwards um so really really good because it looks like this is actually happening so the stunt people that did this that's pretty amazing um but yeah Yeah. so he he ends up kind of 
jumping up off of the skateboard and the skateboard goes underneath of the car and Marty, you know, runs across the top of the car and kind of jumps over top of the convertible and down the back and back onto the skateboard. Um, but, you know, that kind of distracts Biff from where he's going and he just slams like into the back of this manure truck and, you know, it releases it and all the manure comes down and, you know, floods into the, into the car, which, which we later learn, uh, Biff tells him when we have a next confrontation that it's, it costs like $300 or something um, in damage or to get his car cleaned or or something uh, which would have been a lot of money in 1955 yeah. like the whole car probably only yeah. cost like 500 yeah yeah in 1955 that was something like let's see here that was 2600 dollars today yeah so yeah that's so a lot of money <laughs> so, so yeah so so not good to get the manure on but yeah dealt with Biff, but, you know, Marty keeps uh, happenstance uh, showing off his uh, prowess in front of Lorraine. So he's really not doing himself any favors in these situations. Right, because Lorraine is just more and more enthralled with him. And even in this scene, she's like, isn't he a dreamboat? And oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I've got to find out where he lives and who he is. And George is nowhere to be found because George is not doing any of this, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Marty goes back to Doc's house and um, they're going to go through the experiment and they're kind of brainstorming what they're going to be doing. And Doc has this really amazing rendering of the town hall. And he says, you know, please excuse the crudity of this model. I, I don't know what he did. Um, it looks amazing there, but it's, it is super cool. Like the set direction or whoever created that hats off to mm-hmm. them because you can see like milk bottles and things. So he definitely used things from 1955 to make this model, but mm-hmm. it's very cool. And there's like this little car with like a hook on the back of it. And so he's got to be going 88 miles an hour with the hook and the, they, he's got to hit that space of road um, to make contact with this kind of string this wire that's going to go across the road mm-hmm. at the right second 10 4 p.m that the lightning strikes the clock and they think it's going to work and um looking at it as a as an adult you're like this is never going to happen like this is <laughs> this is this is totally not going to work this um, seems this seems very unlikely but it's really cool because he winds up the little model car and yeah. they go and and they do it in the car like you know runs off the end of the table um it's on fire but it like crashes into like this giant barrel of like oil oil soaked rags so you're like well that looks bad but uh you know <laughs> luck, luckily doc's there he's got the fire extinguisher so no harm's done but about this time as soon as they get the plan laid out there's a knock on the door and right. it's Lorraine she had followed Marty over to Doc's house so they cover up the DeLorean real quick let her in and she comes in and you know it's 1955 so she's not really going to ask because that's not how things were done I guess uh, back then so she comes in and she basically says uh, would you please ask me to the dance and Marty's like I thought you already had a date to the dance, uh, nudge, nudge, dad, <laughs> where were you on that? Um, but so he's in this position now where he basically, you know, he's kind of confronted by her. So he has to, so he agrees to go to the dance with her. Um, so what do you, what do you do? He's so, you know, kind of the next scene, he's over at George's house. George is hanging up some laundry outside and he's like, so I'm going out to the dance uh, with Lorraine, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to, we're going to get in the car. I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, a good time for you to come and open the door and, you know, tell me to stop, rip me out of the car. We'll basically set it up. So it looks like you're being kind of this, uh, this hero, right. To come in and right. save the day. Right. Right. And, you know, 
George is like, I don't know. I don't know. That seems okay. I'll do it. And he's practicing. He's, you know, Marty's trying to coach him into using some well-placed swear words, right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, to make him sound more tough. And, uh, and so they've, they've got to figure it out. And, uh, you know, George is really concerned. And Marty's like, you know, if you can, if you, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you can do this, um, dad, dad, daddy-o, right? Um, yep. So the dance happens. It's nine o'clock. Uh, Marty is, par- you know, just coming in. He's, he's, he's borrowed Doc's car, mm-hmm. um, I guess. And he has picked Lorraine up and they are in the car. They've parked. And Marty says, do you mind if we sit here and park for a little while? And she's like, absolutely. And he's like, really? Because the mom that I, that he remembers would never have done that. And she's like, oh yeah, I love to park. And then she pours, she brings out like a, like a bottle of booze and uh, she's, you know, taking sips of it. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, everybody drinks. It's fine. And he's like, no, no, that you're going to regret that later in life. And you know, don't, don't do that. And yes, that the kind of the idea behind this was, is that they were going to park, right. And it's going to make her uncomfortable. And that's when George was going to come in and save the day, but instead they park and mom is like way into it. She's like, all right, let's, let's do this thing. She leans over (laughs) and kisses Marty. Uh, But luckily for her and for Marty, because, you know, we know Marty knows uh, that that's his mom. Um, You know, she's like that, that felt weird. Something was weird about that. She didn't really know. <laughs> she didn't really know why. Right. I think she likened it to like kissing her brother yeah, um, yeah. or something like that. But, but yeah, so it, you know, it's all wrong. So luckily they get out of that. Uh, but about then Biff, who has a habit of turning up at these moments uh, comes and, you know, and he's going to get in the car uh, instead. Yeah, no, we think it's going to be, we think it's going to be George that's pulling him out of the car and he can't wait. He's like, thank goodness, because mom just tried to kiss me. Right. But it's not George. It is Biff. And he's really mad about the $300 damage to his car. Mm-hmm. He's got his friends with him and he's like, take him away, beat him up. Uh, and I'm going to stay here with Lorraine. And that's when it gets a little triggering uh, watching this yeah. as an adult. You, you know, as a kid, I, I didn't really understand what was going to happen. But mm-hmm. he's like totally going to like either. I don't know. You don't know what's going to happen in this car, but nothing good. But he's like, hey, and he's back, you know, he gets in the car with her and she's like, get get off of me. Leave me alone. And Marty is like taken into this trunk of this vehicle they grab him um all of his four friends kind of pull him into this trunk it and they shut the trunk doors and the doors open and a bunch of smoke comes out and it's actually the band um Mm -hmm. they i guess uh they were token a bunch of reefer and so they they were all in the car uh having a good time smoking it up but then someone was in their trunk so they get out and they scare off the bullies but then they're like who's in the trunk and the keys were in the trunk and so they're trying to figure out how to get poor marty out of the trunk um Mm -hmm. in the meantime it's about then that george opens the door thinks that it's gonna be marty mcfly with his mom with his his mom uh and instead it's biff and it's not hey you know take your hands off her and there's this kind of playful punch and then it's over mm-hmm. you know lorraine looks really scared she's really asking for help because he's not leaving her alone and mm-hmm. you know biff is like just shut the door and walk away and this is the time that george you know gets his gumption and he's like nope 
you leave her alone. She does not want you in this car. So he gets up and they start to have a little fight. You know, he try <laughs> poor George tries to punch Biff. It does not work. And Biff kind of grabs his arm and pulls him, you know, pushes him down. And even Lorraine tries to jump on Biff to get him to stop. And he pushes her to the ground. And he's just a total, I mean, he's awful, right? He's laughing at it. He yeah. thinks it's so funny that she's hurt and that he could totally break George's arm. But yeah, George, he's, he's kind of the worst. But yeah, when he throws Lorraine down to the ground and George sees that, it kind of, you know, pushes him, you know over the over the edge i guess of this and to get over his his uh fear of biff and he stands up to him and uh gives biff a uh, good punch it lands and uh knocks biff out of the uh picture so george was able to save the day and that's good because now him and lorraine can go in and enjoy the rest of the dance right now they don't kiss but he you know he, there's this really cool moment and a bunch of people see that he punched biff out and everybody knows that biff and, and his cronies are all bullies and so mm -hmm. they're like who's that that's george mcfly and so it's already you know people are starting to you know think oh that's he's cool that's neat all right and um about this time the members of the band are you know breaking marty out of the trunk uh one of them actually slices his hand open trying to get mm -hmm. him get the trunk open so he gets out of the trunk and he rushes uh because he knows that biff is with lorraine and this is really not good and so he rushes out to try and help but he sees that you know george has stood up for himself and he's managed to punch D biff out and um, mm -hmm. so he's really happy about that so he pulls out his uh the picture that he's had in his pocket and um, was hoping to see that things would be back to normal, but things are still fading. So they, they haven't, they haven't fallen in love enough yet. They haven't sealed the deal yet. So he goes mm -hmm. back to the band and he's telling the band, Hey, they gotta, they gotta play a song. They gotta, they gotta kiss on the dance yeah. floor because the, if they don't kiss, they don't fall in love and they don't fall in love. They don't get married and they, then he won't be alive. And, you know, the lead guitarist is the one whose hand is all messed up. And he's like, man, I, I, I can't play. If you know somebody that can play the guitar, that'd be that then we got a deal. And so then the next scene is poor, poor Marty McFly. He's playing like Earth Angel on the guitar. Mm -hmm. He's got like the two chords and it's not what he's used to playing, but He's yeah. doing it because he he's, really needs his parents to fall in love. He, he needs his parents to fall in love and to kiss. And he's up there. He's playing, you know, he's playing his chord progression on uh, Earth Angel. Uh, but he starts to mess up. And, you know, the guys in the band are like, are you OK? What's, what's wrong with you? And, you know, they're looking over at him. He's like falling down, like over, like into the guitar amp and stuff. And uh, he's looking at his hand, his hand starting to fade away. So Marty needs to uh, pick up the pace here. Right. He's running out of time for this uh, night to go good, get his parents back together so uh he needs to kick it up a notch so that's what he does he uh takes a little bit of initiative um and starts playing a little bit better music and also during this time george is out there dancing and we see why marty had started to fade away uh some other guy from the school had come in and kind of cut in you know with lorraine started dancing and george just kind of you know walks off you know feeling defeated but um you know, he kind of gets a little bit of gumption back to him and he goes back up and, you know, cuts back in uh, much to Lorraine's happiness and they're having their dance and uh, finally do kiss. So, you know, Marty excited, not fading away. He's going to kick it into high gear and uh, play a little Johnny Be Good to get these uh, kids rocking and rolling in this 1955 dance. Yeah. And it's 
so fun. Uh, this is one of my favorite scenes because, you know, he's like instantaneous, like I'm fine now. Right. And he, you know, he looks at the picture and everybody, everybody's coming back. His sister's back, his brother's back in the picture. And he's like, this is awesome. They're hugging in the background. And George is kind of waving to Marty, like I did it. She likes me. And, and he's like, all right. And then there's like, let's play a song. And so they start to play this really cool version of Johnny Be Good. It, mm-hmm. It's it's really good. And all the people are dancing. I am a swing dancer. So I loved all of it. There's a lot of six count there. Everybody's talking to George. They're like, Did, oh, we saw what you did to Biff. Have you thought about, you know, running for class president? And, you know, George and, and Lorraine are having a great time swinging it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Marty is just, he, you know, it's the first time he's been able to play in front of people. And he's just, he goes a little nuts though. He, you know, he starts doing some, some really uh, cool uh, moves from the eighties, like licking the guitar and like, you know, doing. Yeah, it's like, he's like playing it behind his head. He's, he's doing some, uh, some crazy uh, thrashing around, jumping off the amp. Now, if I was in this jazz band and some crazy kid just started jumping on my amp, I'd be very upset. Um, it's also fun because the leader of this like jazz band swing band that's at this uh, high school thing, uh, it's Marvin Berry. And so when they start playing Johnny Be Good, Mar- Marvin runs into like the little like, you know, coach's office or whatever there off the side of the stage. And he's, he's and he calls up his cousin Chuck and he's like, Chuck, you got to listen to the sound. This is great. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. chuck chuck obviously being the johnny be good chuck berry there so so that's pretty fun too yeah so. yeah but but yeah dance is over kisses happened marty the picture is looking good uh now all he needs to do is he just needs to get back to 1985 right so right. uh he goes to the clock tower where he's supposed to meet doc doc says again you know it's time to go back to the future always uh, good to get the uh the title of the film in there um what happens though is the storm's blowing in knocks over a tree and it knocks down the power line kind of thing that's you know rigged up to this clock tower and you get doc saying great scott you know that kind of famous line for him so uh but he's got to climb up there and get it but before uh you know this is kind of able to happen doc's reaching in his pocket and he feels this letter that marty had put in there earlier to him because marty knows that you know doc's going to get shot by these you know plutonium thief terrorists you know in the future so he's trying to warn him because and doc's like you know don't tell me about the future i'll be there you know it could it could have you know ramifications we don't know about don't don't tell me so marty decides to write it down in a letter and you know right before he leaves he kind of sneaks it into his pocket there and doc finds it and he's like i told you not to not to tell me this um so he rips up the letter um you know and kind of throws it um, but then we have to deal with getting this uh, this car going. So you know, Doc climbs up into the top of the clock tower, and he's trying to get this thing plugged in. Um, it's it's a whole mess, but right. Yeah, Marty. Marty doesn't have a lot of options. Um, you know, Doc's like, we've just spent a whole week uh, because you met your parents accidentally, and you didn't tell them anything, but it changed their life. Like, I don't want to know anything about the future. Uh, and Marty's in a really tough spot. So he just decides, go ahead and, and change the time in which he's coming back to be, you know, five or 10 minutes before um, he left. And so he sets the time machine up to do that. And then he gets in the car and, you know, starts driving. And, you know, there's this great scene, Doc is kind of um, going through and trying to, you know, he's connect making one connection, but then one connection breaks, he has to kind of zip line his way down to make another mm-hmm. connection right at the at the crucial moment uh but it all works and um he ends up going ahead and 
you know, making the 88 miles per hour, the bolt of lightning, uh, and the flux capacitor all work together, and Marty disappears from 1955. And he's, uh, he's pretty happy, Doc, Doc Brown, right? You see the fire, um, <laughs> the two fire streaks where the mm-hmm. tires were, and he's like, yay, we did it! And, yeah, um, you, see the, you see the tire marks, you know, he yells it worked, and kudos to Christopher Lloyd here in this. He just, he just looks and reacts so happily. He's like dancing in the street. It's it's just uh, really fun to watch. But yeah, it worked. So uh, he gets back. Uh, Marty, you know, is back. He's ten minutes before he he left, so he still has some time to go warn Doc, you know, about them, you know, coming in and and shooting him. But the DeLorean again. Apparently, the time travel is rough on the DeLorean because it ices up and seems to have trouble getting started again. So the car the car dies. So Marty is going to have to uh, go by foot to the mall. Uh, yeah. It's no longer the Twin Pines Mall. It's the Lone Pine Mall because Marty ran over one of the trees. So there's only <laughs> one pine tree there that they had to had to clear out to make this mall. But um, as he's kind of getting there over like the brim of the road over the mall and he can kind of look down, he sees uh, right as he gets there, he sees them shooting Doc. He got in, you know, just too late. He sees the DeLorean kind of take off into the future. Um, you know, but he, he runs down to check on Doc because it looks like he got there too late. Yeah. And it's a pretty sad scene because Doc's been shot multiple times in the chest. Um, There's not any blood or anything, but uh, he definitely looks like he is uh, not with the world anymore. And uh, Marty's really sad and he's, you know, he's crying. But then uh, Doc kind of sits up and Marty's like, what, what, what happened? And he pulls open his jacket and he's got a bulletproof vest. And so all these chunks of, of bullet metals are just kind of in, in the vest. Mm. He says, how, how, how did, how did you know? And doc pulls out this really, really old looking, uh, torn, tattered, taped together letter. Uh, mm. and he says, what, 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 what did you say about, you know, this, this screwing up the knowing about the future would definitely screw it up. And, and, Doc says, you know, I thought about it and what the hell, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't want to die. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's like better, better to know, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's all like taped up. Right. Cause he'd, he'd ripped it up. So yeah, you know, it, it worked every, everything kind of seems to be back to back to normal. So doc says, you know, now that, now that you're back, we got this sorted. I'm going to go to the future, which is where he wanted to go in the first place, you know, before the Libyans showed up and kind of ruined the day. And, you know, Marty tells him, you know, when you get there, look me up. And he drops Marty off at his, at his house. And, you know, Doc, Doc goes into the future. Marty goes in, uh, he goes to, goes and gets in bed. And then the next morning uh, he wakes up. Uh, But when he wakes up, things are not the way they were the night before when he uh, was at his house. They are not. They are not. He is on his way. It looks like he's on his way to the bathroom, perhaps. And he notices that the living room uh, is very fancy for 1980s. There's a lot of pinks and greens. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fluffy leather couches. It's just, it's very chic. It's not the same. It looks very different. And he's like, what, what's going on? And then he hears, overhears his sister and brother talking. And his sister um, is like, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm not your answering service. And the 
brother's like, well, you know, I'm not your answering service, but Craig or Greg called you. And she's like, well, who was it, Greg or Craig? And he's like, I don't know. I can't keep track of all your boyfriends, which is markedly different than before when she was like, how are we ever going to meet anybody? And yeah. they look great. Yes. He, he's, he, uh, his older brother doesn't look like he's working for Pizza Hut anymore. He is in a suit. And so, you know, uh, Marty is like, what the heck is going on? Did someone die? Like, what's happening Mm -hmm. yeah and about then you know his his parents george and lorraine come in but it looks like they're coming from like the the country club or like the tennis club or something you know he's wearing like a fancy 1980s sweater and you know she's in like a like a windsuit or something they come in and and marty's like i don't know what's going on but you know (laughs) i needed to take the car out but you know the car is wrecked or something or oh because yeah, because yeah. uh, Lorraine asked him about his date that night you know with Jennifer and he's like well I can't go because the car's wrecked and you know the whole family's like the car's wrecked what are you talking about what do you mean and they all kind of run outside uh and the car's there but it's not the car that it was right it's this nice fancy BMW and it's getting waxed uh by none other than Biff mm, Biff yeah and George is there reminding him that he needs to put two count them two coats of wax this is when you actually had wax cars you couldn't just spray it on and he's like I'm just I'm just finishing that and he says now Biff don't con me and he's like I'm sorry you're right I'm about to start the second coat you're right and he's like oh Biff always a character and you know Marty is just amazed at the changes right um his looks like his sister's doing really well his brother now has this office job that he's you know all dressed up to go to and then if that wasn't enough a arrival like a package arrives and his dad's really excited and they open up the package and it's George McFly's first novel and it's called like Aliens from Space or Aliens mm-hmm. in Space um you know how aliens brought me together and it's basically the story of an alien landing and uh you know telling him to go and ask a girl to a dance and it ends up being the love of his life and Mm -hmm. um so of course now it's george that is saying hey if you put your mind to it guys you can accomplish anything which was really cool to see right because it's completely changed everything just him having the confidence to get to go for what he wanted and to go ahead and take the chance to uh to show somebody his stories right marty's really happy about all this uh and he goes out into the garage um for some reason and well yeah biff throws him the keys he's like oh marty i almost forgot yours is done too and he he throws him keys so marty goes out and opens up the door to the garage and there's there's this truck in there and earlier in the film you'd seen like this truck was on like a flatbed kind of go by and marty had said something to jennifer about how how awesome that truck was or something so now apparently he has this truck and about then jennifer walks up and you know she's there they kiss and you know she's like oh you're acting like you haven't seen me in a week right because you know she had just seen him you know yesterday um at at school and they're kind of having this you know quick moment but uh it's pretty short-lived because because about then uh the delorean just screams up the street and you know doc gets out and he's like marty you've got to come back with me back to the future and marty's like what what do you mean i gotta i gotta go with you he's like he's like i i went and i met you in 30 years just like you told me to i went and marty's like well what's wrong did we turn into assholes (laughs) or or what what happens 
and Doc's like, he's like, he's like, no, you guys are fine, but it's your kids. So you got to go with me. So, you know, so Marty and Jennifer uh, get into the DeLorean and they're there. And Marty says, I don't know if you have enough room to get up to 88 miles per hour. And Doc says, well, we're going kid. We don't need roads. And you see the DeLorean, the kind of lifts up off the ground and the tires flip in and it, you know, shoots off into the distance. And that's where it ends, which is basically the most perfect setup ever for your sequel to start. So That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's interesting. This, this, it is a trilogy. This is the first one and it's, oh. it's pretty perfect. And, and in case you forgot, the power of love is going to go ahead and play again. You know, oh, right. To, right. To just round in this case. Thing right. Yeah. Just in case you forgot that the power of love was, uh, was important. Um, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's like the perfect, this is a pretty perfect trilogy. I mean, I know that, you know, nothing will be um, Star Wars. And I, I know that a lot of people really love like the Indiana Jones trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, th- this, this, this whole thing is set up so well. And it's mm-hmm. interesting to note that this was not signed off as a trilogy when this film was made. Um, mm-hmm. The next two were made at the same time. They were kind of made, you know, knowing that you had you couldn't do one without the other but um you know they did not think that they were necessarily going to it wasn't a given that they were going to do two and three so i I think that they took a big chance but they put in so many cool things that they could use later in the films uh, and the subsequent films and they do that and it's still really great about um you know him really helping his dad discover the confidence that he himself didn't have um Mm -hmm. yeah what, what do you what do you think? How many have you seen this a bunch of times? Yeah, well, I was I was gonna say there's a there's a cool bit, and you'll see a lot of like the dialogue kind of kind of mirrored between the 1985 and the 1955 stuff. Um, at the start of the film, after Marty kind of leaves the battle of the bands, when you know his band doesn't get accepted to play in this thing, and Jennifer's telling him, you know, just just send your you know, audition tape out to radio stations and stuff. And Marty's like, oh, I don't want to. What if people don't like it? And then when he goes back and he's talking to his dad, his dad had been writing these science fiction books and he's like, you should send these out to publishers. And his dad's like, you know, I don't want to. What if people don't like it? You know, it's so it's the same kind of thing, like of these parallels. But yeah, I mean, this this movie is pretty great. I mean, it's it's a classic for a reason. It's super fun. Um, you know, it, it goes, it's it's not like really long like the pace is really quick on it it's it's just a good time it has good lessons in it the dialogue is good the acting's uh really good the sound the soundtrack i mean i think it's alan silvestri did the soundtrack maybe mm-hmm. um if that's right um you know it it's really great so yeah i mean it's it's just a super super fun film it's you know one of those that you know this came out in 1985 so we would have been you know like four or five years old when when this came out so i mean it was one that you know would be a pretty frequent rental, you know, between this one and, and the second. And you mentioned the second and third ones were kind of filmed at the same time. They came out, uh, the Back to the Future Part 2 came out in 1989, and then Back to the Future Part 3 came out in 1990. Uh, so they came out pretty close to one another. But yeah, just a, just a really good time. What about you, Michaela? Was this something that you watched multiple times growing up? Or? I did. I did. I remember my dad telling me about this movie when I was in Montana. So I had to have been five or six. So it was either 1986 or 1987. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, you know, it's about a kid who goes back in time and sees his mom in high school. And I remember thinking about my dad being in high school in 1955. I don't think he was, I think he's a little bit, uh, he was a little bit younger than that. But 
looking back at it, it's like, man, that's, um, this is really cool. Uh, it, it's just a really cool idea to be able to go and see your parents 30 years mm-hmm. from when you're a teenager, right? And when they, you know, when they were teenagers, uh, the premise is just really neat. And I, I think it's it's a great film for like a Sunday afternoon. If it's on, I watch it. My kid has seen it. I don't, I, I you know, other than some language and of course um, some triggering moments in the car. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, there's no nudity or anything like that. There's no violence. Um, there's some language and and some, some adult themes, but I think it's okay generally for most kids. Um, and it, it, again, the, the themes are really good, right? Like if you put mm-hmm. your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. You know, you shouldn't let anybody uh, bully you, um, you know, and you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be scared, be confident in who you are. And, you know, that you can change, right? That, that change is inev- inevitable uh, mm-hmm. and, and a good thing, right? So by just having some confidence, you know, George McFly and Lorraine managed to change their entire life and they didn't even know it. Right. Um, mm. Just really, just really good themes. And it's yeah, fun. It's, it's just a real fun movie. It's, yeah. you know, it's kind of a mark of like really good coming of age films. It's, you know, it's something you can watch as a kid and enjoy because it's fun. It's fun watching them skateboard around. The music's fun. Kind of the, you know, seeing the DeLorean, you know, driving yeah. around is, is fun. And then as you get older, you start to appreciate some of the more nuanced parts of it. And you can kind of, you kind of grow and you see it from the different aspects. So the movie itself, you know, is, is always really good, but you just appreciate it for different reasons as you kind of grow up and grow alongside of the movie. So, uh, yeah, so this one's definitely really good. Um, let us know if you also love Back to the Future because everyone loves Back to the Future. So I, I wouldn't expect uh, it to be uh, any otherwise. Let us know which of the three you prefer. If you like the original the best or if you like Back to the Future part two the best or part three, let us know that for sure. Um, if you're drinking a flux capacitor along with it, we definitely want to see that because that's an excellent drink and you should be making those all summer long for sure. So get those and get pictures of those taken and get those sent in to us. You can do that on our Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. Uh, you can find our written recipe pictures of our flux capacitors, uh, episode recaps, all that good stuff on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And Michaela, why don't you tell people where they should, you know, get subscribed to the podcast and leave us a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We'd appreciate it if you subscribed. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a five-star review because it really helps us get Drink the Movies out there. Absolutely. So I think that I am all out of my plutonium-fueled flux capacitor. Uh, we're going to have to get some more made up if we want to take any trips back to the future. So what do you say? Should we go make up another one? Yes. Because where we're going, we don't need roads. But we do need some good cocktails. So we sure we're going to go make those up and we'll catch everyone next time on Drink, Drink the, movies. the Movies. Great, Scott. <laughs>